Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's a hundred percent acquisition of green beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer and that's what we're here to do talk about beer I'm Brews News Senior Journalist, Claire Burnett. You may have heard my dulcet tones on the weekly Radio Brews News podcast, uh, but I'm here today uh, with Richard Adamson, co-founder of Young Henry's, uh, non-executive director there now, and also recently appointed chair of the Independent Brewers Association. Uh, so thanks for coming on, Richard. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No worries. Obviously, it's only been a month now since you've, or a month or so since you've been appointed uh, as chair, um, but like... Oh, crazy. Why did you want to take on this role? It's massive. I'm not sure if anyone wants to take the role on, to be, to be frank. <laughs> Do you all fight about it? <laughs> like, oh, I'll take well, it this year. It was kind of, it's, it's kind of like, well, who's up for it? I was I was hoping that um, the line of middle-aged balding men was going to end <laughs> um, at Pete, but it didn't, so it's handed <laughs> over to me. Uh, so hopefully I'll, I'll be the last of that of, of that chain going back to Jamie. <laughs> yeah. um, You've I got think, Kylie and Kelly though, so it's not completely right. middle-aged men. Yeah, you're all good. That's right. It's not the couple of middle-aged men, but uh, <laughs> I think we could have better representation. Peter had put his hand up and uh, gone on for an extra extended period with Kylie, you know, well and truly getting a feet under the desk now. Um, I felt a bit more confident about... Um, it not being 100% of my time. Uh, certainly when, when Jamie took the reins, there was a, a period of transition from with the with the management of the IBA and he was very much hands-on uh, and Pete did a wonderful job as well. So I'm hoping that um, it's more about strategic leadership and guidance, but we shall see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like just the scope of the IBA just shocks me sometimes and, and we'll have a chat about that as well. But um, so you're in a non-exec role at Young Henry's at the minute and like how much time do you think you're going to spend on Young Henry's versus the IBA or what, what did you oh, envision? <laughs> What's the oh, plan? A, a lot, I think, <laughs> a, a lot. So yeah, my my role within uh, Young Henry's is, um, is changes. We've got an amazing team there and um, you know, Oscar and Dan are, are definitely the leaders day to day there, and um, I, I, I kind of you know chime in and help when I can, and, and get involved with sort of the fun projects most of the time. So um, <laughs> the good stuff you get to cherry stuff. pick the good stuff. Is that what it is? Well, that's what I try and do. <laughs> um, Sometimes you get roped into the other day to day stuff. That, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yes. So. Uh, looking forward to, to still doing a lot with Young Henry's at the same time as um, the IBA and, and I've still got the teaching gig as well, so still teaching at TAFE. Oh, um, my God. Richard, you're mental. Like, I don't know how you're going to do all this. Um, especially because, well, I guess I guess it's slightly different maybe with 
Pete because Pete was like full on day to day founder from from what I gathered, whereas you kind of do get to dip in and out. Is that the case, or is that fair to say? Uh, yes, it, it, it is fair to say. I, it, I, I'm sure I'm going to be busy. Have a very busy next year, though. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Between yes. the three things as well. Now, obviously, you've got all your hats on sometimes simultaneously, sometimes two, sometimes the one. Um, mm. I assume interests align a fair bit between those three sort of different roles. Um, how do you find that balance between, you know, what's good for the industry, what's good for young Henry's, um, probably your um, teaching thing probably aligns on those two more often, but sometimes things will be really good for young Henry's that won't necessarily be good for the whole industry. Like, how do you think you're going to be able to juggle that and balance that? That's a really good question. I think um, just being um, hyper aware of any kind of conflicts of interest um, is important. I've certainly represented the industry on on things that, you know, maybe wouldn't be of great assistance to young Henry's, like, you know, talking with some of the, the major retailers and um, them saying, well, we've, you know, we've taken on more independent beer customers over the last you know, couple of years than we ever have. Um, and I was thinking, oh, man, if my salespeople had heard that, they wouldn't be happy necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get some earache for this, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I think just having sort of um, clear division on, on the roles is, is, the, is the conflict you need to manage. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, does it help that obviously Kylie sort of, oh, she's not involved in an individual brewery, so she can kind of give you that balance as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, like that. that's, that's pretty key. That, and and it's, as, as the association evolves, it's, I think it's important that, to separate the, the board from the executive and the board's really there to help with strategy and guidance and, and make some, you know, help make some key decisions. But the data operation is not done by the by the board, mm-hmm. um, and that's important to understand as well. Yeah, definitely. And I guess it's good to have a board because then you've got the multitude of opinions of several different types of breweries, different sizes, different states, and they can all pitch in with their individual experience. Do you do you find that those uh, meetings get a little bit rowdy sometimes, or does everyone really agree and they get on? Uh, it's it's about. The board finding its feet too. So we have um, some new membership now, mm-hmm. um, and the representation I think is 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 pretty good across the the states and the different sized breweries. So there's there are sort of competing interests there, which is great. The first meeting was is you know everyone sort of um, finding their voice and. and feeling their way yeah. there's no one very particularly shy on the board though which is great so <laughs> yeah, everyone's opinion yeah, yeah. That's it. so it's worth um it's worth pointing out too that we've got you know karina is um taking the the role as treasurer too um which is fantastic um it gives me a lot of confidence at the same time absolutely yeah that's, mm. that's great and i think that's really interesting as well that the diversity has been a key point and again well can discuss that in a bit um but you've obviously got the board which is great so you've got that input from lot different types of brewery owners as we say but how does the IBA actually keep in touch with its members do you like send an email around or like how does that the like, mechanics of that work this is just for me because I've always wondered this look that's there's there's constant communication on an informal level we've also just carried out um a strategic review um in with KPMG and that was a, um, a much more formal approach to getting 
um, input from our key stakeholders. Uh, so that included the membership from all different sizes and scales and different parts of the country. Uh, it included the probably the most important piece in this is the consumer. So we, we did a lot of consumer research as well, um, as well as suppliers. So I think we which we touched on all the sort of key stakeholders. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, and government. We interface with government a lot as well. So that report is in the works at the moment. We've, they've, they've done all the interviews um, and then that'll be um, fed back to members um, hopefully in the early new year. Right. Um, and that will lay out the, the sort of the strategic plan for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. On the report then, I, I know I've spoken to Kylie about it before because um, it's been in the making for a while, hasn't it? I assume you've seen a few bits and bobs from that already. So was there anything that you were surprised at or anything that you were shocked at or is it all pretty much as you'd expect? I think the consumer feedback is going to be very interesting for the members to see. One pleasing part about that was that the people surveyed said there, there was a, a reasonable, reasonably good awareness of the indie seal. So um, coming off a, a very low base of, you know, two years ago didn't exist at all to where we are now, um, I think around 25% of people surveys were aware of the seal and what it meant. Um, I thought you know, that's that's pretty pleasing. There's no, there hasn't been a massive national media campaign on TV or anything to get that in front of people. So that awareness is good. Um, that purchasing decision um, decisions, independence and Australian ownership is is very important to um, to to particularly the um, the casual drinker. So someone who um, you know maybe isn't engaged with breweries as um, sort of our great beer fans, Mm -hmm. but that decision is important. So independence still does matter. Mm -hmm. And I guess not just from the perspective of the report then, because we've obviously spoken a lot about independence on the podcast and, you know, a little thing will happen in the industry or brewery will do something and then that'll tie into sort of the wider discourses around independence. Mm. Why do you think independence, for you personally, I guess, why do you think independence is important? Oh, that's a very good question. I think um, I think one thing we, we wanted to frame the conversation of, of ownership and independence around was really stop comparing that to the, you know, the major players and really talk about what our strengths are and, and what it's about. And I think what we can do as independent brewery owners is really focus on those things that matter to us. So it's the engagement with our local communities. Um, it's our, you know, our, our maverick streak, I guess, and the, the creativity that comes with it. And the fact that you will make decisions that maybe don't make sense on uh, on a you know corporate balance sheet as such, but you do them because you're passionate about them and it means something to you. And I think those things really bring a unique perspective to the, to the beer landscape that only independent breweries can do. Yeah, and I think that's interesting that you mentioned the like bottom line and the corporate bottom line. Obviously, that will be a major point of, uh, well, a major issue when a major brewer potentially is making decisions. And as you say, not always the case with breweries. Obviously, we need to pay our staff. We need to pay the rent. We need to, you know, get ingredients in. So there are... Um, financial constraints on that and you do have to make it work at the end of the day but like I was speaking to Scott 
uh, Shoma from Helios a few weeks ago and he was like look sustainability is always key to me and we might not make as much as we could have done if we hadn't focused on this but in the long run uh, not only do customers care about it, which is sort of gives us a little bit of a leg up uh, in the marketplace, but actually these things have ended up, you know, saving us money or whatever the case may be. So maybe there's that like that knock on. It might not be good now financially, but it could be potentially later. But we don't make decisions necessarily based on that. That's I think that's a that's a really smart move. And and look, I would say that focusing on uh, sustainable development goals is going to be key to your business success going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I my approach, I think, and the, the, for for young Henrys, and this is a, a pretty good dove, dovetail into how I think our you know what I've been focused on may assist in both companies is really looking at that overall picture of sustainability and environmental sustainability is one part of that. But you know, if you look at the UN sustainability. Um, goals and then the UN Global Compact and how they've sort of got the 10 principles. They sit around human rights, labour standards, environment and anti-corruption. And that's having transparency around these things. Mm -hmm. So um, I think as an industry, we just assume that that the default position is that we are the better ethical choice than buying from the big companies because supporting the little guy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But we really need to have some good targets on improving on those key facets. And you know, sustainability is one part, environmental sustainability is one part. Mm-hmm. I think we can we can definitely do more there. Mm-hmm. Um, but really looking at our diverse, diversity within our industry, looking at the gender pay gap, looking at representation, um, these are things that the big guys are doing, and if we don't start doing it, we'll, be, we'll fall behind. So I think you know IBA's role there will be around you know giving some guidance to our members on on how to approach these things better. Yeah, and God, that covers so many different things. Like it's it must be so hard to even tackle where to start because things like getting your brew kit in. Loads of people get their brew kits from China, inevitably. China doesn't necessarily have the best record in terms of human rights. So, you know, how do we juggle what we need as an industry with these sustainability goals? It must be really tricky to even know where to start. Look, it is. I think it's, you know, it's something that the IBA has done and that's, you know, starting, the foundation starts with your stakeholder engagement. Mm -hmm. So really talking to, you know, you business owners, employees, investors, talking to your customers, talking to suppliers, your your broader community. So, um, and then media, research, government sort of come come second, and then really mapping out what is in you know what is important to those stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you can do that fairly easily, I think. You know, it's. It can be a formal process or relatively informal, but then you can map out what's um, you can do a materiality assessment and work out what's going to have the biggest impact and um, and what's the most important to those stakeholders, and then those are the things you need to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Like like we're small, the small businesses usually in this industry, and comparatively to the major brewers, definitely small. You know, you've got so many considerations to juggle that you know a move in the direction that right direction seems to be like a fantastic and a huge step for people. Um, 
but we've we've already talked about like a bajillion things and you know I'm kind of getting secondhand stress from the fact that the IBA, IBA has to cover all these different things you know worrying about gender pay gaps, CDS schemes, alcohol advertising, skills training, <clears throat> lobbying the government. Um, like this is just insane when you start to really drill down and think about what the IBA does. So what do you see the IBA's role as now and, and in future? Look, I think um, really defining what independence means. So I think we've got to get back to back to that. It's great that we've got a, a awareness about um, independent. I think we shouldn't be ashamed to say Australian owns either. I think there's been a, a potential cultural cringe around, mm-hmm. you know, the kangaroo, and you don't want to have to head turn this down this bogan path about <laughs> um, about you know Australian what Australian um, flag waving as such. But it is important to people um, when they make that purchasing decision to understand that a company is Australian owned. Those profits are staying within Australia. Um, we need to take that the next step further, though, and, and say, well, the, it, it's about com- our communities and what's important to our communities and really show that social responsibility, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've launched the, the Code of Conduct. I think it's, it, those, that social responsibility needs to be um, part of the fabric of every brewing organisation as well. So I think... What the IBA's role is is really to be the obviously the representation of the industry um, at the interface of government. That's that's critical. Um, we that's probably most of my time. I think and it has been most of my time for a while. So advocating for the industry on on all fronts. There's a bit of, bit of the the furthering the industry and also a bit of um, protection happening at the same time. That we don't want um, you know, red tape essentially coming in and making our lives more difficult. Mm-hmm. But um, but also see if we can we can get more assistance, particularly in the training and education space, uh, and yeah, really framing um, the way forward. I think for what the industry stands for. Yeah, and the defining independence thing, as we've said, is like a really interesting and really difficult and challenging question. And I think developing that. Obviously, it's in the name, so you can't avoid it, really, unless you want to do a complete step change to uh, to something else. But we've obviously seen over the past couple of years some major players, uh, as obviously we know, Stonewood, Bolter, leaving the independent space. Um, mm-hmm. How does that impact, number one, what consumers think of independence? And number two, what other brewers think of independence like what does it mean to them when you know their neighbor next door who t- said they were staunchly independent then gets sold like does does that hurt it a little bit it's a um a very interesting point and i've i've in, from my perspective i think there is there's no shame in exiting your business mm-hmm. so i think we need to make that clear as well um that if people make it make the decision to you know, to exit either, you know, through through you know, sales going to be the, the major way of doing that. That, you know, that's that's okay. That's, you know, that's part of running a business. Especially as we get older as an industry, you know, people are getting into their, not mentioning any names, of course, 50s, 60s, they're like, oh my God, I want to retire. I'm sick of the grind. Like, what do you do with the business? You can't just give it away or do you, you do, probably don't want to close it down. Like that's the succession planning thing is really key, definitely. It is, and I think we can do a lot more in that space as well. Is really start talking about what exit may look like and what um, what different options there are for businesses. If um, you know if they're going to um, 
go, go through that transition. Um, it could be it's succession planning is a is a good one. A lot of our members are you know very small operators, and it's going to be you know handed down to employees. Um, you know, a, a, another business partner might might take a more active role. It might be the children. Um, mm-hmm. These are all these are all sort of things that we need to discuss. Then there's you know on the on the larger space when you've got you know things like you know, uh, crowdfunding, you've got um, potential float on the stock exchange for the for the for the much larger players. Um, what does it mean to take on investment and how does that change the, the complexity of your business? I think these are all very important things to discuss and, and inform mm-hmm. on as well. Yeah. And is do you think that might be a role for the IBA or is that just something that we as an industry should be talking about, not necessarily led by the IBA? No, it's certainly something that we'll be talking about much more in terms of our mashups and um, conferences, etc. as well as you know Give the um, those toolkits there to the members, and you know, uh, allow them to have that conversation. I think as well. Yeah, I think that's 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 pretty important. Um, so I think yeah, on on that discussion of what independence means, I think it look, we, we I think we've got to get rid of the stigma of selling the business if that's something that someone wants to do. But also, I think more um, importantly is the is the flip side, and that the, it's the confusion in the marketplace about who owns what? So you know the the I think pretty sure that the majors and I'm going to put the put some of the retailers in there too with mm-hmm. their own brands are pretty happy to um, you know think uh, or allow the consumer to think that that's an independent beer brand. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So <laughs> we I think um, some um, some truth in when I say truth in labelling that's. Um, provenance is a really important part about that. So yeah. it's something that I'll certainly be um, working on to see whether we, you know, whether it's mandated labelling or um, you know, how do we get this truth in labelling. But it also comes down to our membership as well. If you if you contract brewing, put it on the label. Yeah, I think that's 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 important. Why do you think people don't put it on their label? Is it almost a little shame thing? Like a, I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. So, and, I'm, and I don't, again, I don't see any shame in that either. So, um, I think it also goes to ingredients too. So, I think you know when we're talking about your fruited sour, is it is it fresh fruit? How you know, or is it a concentrate from China? Really think about those decisions because the consumer wants to know. We, the, the research is showing us that. Yeah. Um, so. I think that truth and labelling probably starts at home and then, you know, we can look at the industry, the broader industry around Providence, et cetera, as well. Yeah, that's it. And, like, that must be hard, though, from an IBA's perspective because you can't police everything that everybody does. Like, how do you basically say, like, you're, they're members, so they, they ha- they're invested, they've got skin in the game. How do you, like, not force them but, you know, patrol that effectively is that even possible or do you just have to rely on the fact that the people want the best to have the best interest in or they have the best interest in heart for the industry yeah that's a it's that is a challenge i think it's um it's first of all you need to understand where we you know where we sit within an industry um and that transparency and social responsibility goes i think it goes back to what i was saying before in terms of the um, sustainability goals. So mm-hmm. I think it, it all flows from that 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 found first foundation, um, and you need to follow through with everything you do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And like we were talking, I can't remember what it was about, but we were talking about how you, I think it was about A back actually. This was a long while ago now. And we were talking about how do you police that? You know, A back got, they've got on border with the Victorian Commission of Liquor and Gaming or Gaming Liquor. And um, the VCLGR, they were able to sort of find people for it. But actually, ABUC doesn't have any power to do anything. You just have to be, you know, committed to it. So I guess it is a struggle because you don't want to force people to do things. But at the same time, you know, as an industry body, that this is what's not in a paternalistic kind of way, but what's good for the industry. You can see it from like a holistic point of view. Like, how do you impart that to members? How do you get other people in the industry on board with that? Yeah, that's, that is a challenge. I think um, a lot of people get upset with ABAC on, on several fronts. It, it probably feels quite conservative, mm-hmm. number, number one. I think the other criticism I hear most is that it allows for anonymous um, complaints. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're, we're pretty sure that um, you know, groups like FAIR or the anti-alcohol mm-hmm. lobbies like Council FAIR Council, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're all they're all trolling through everyone's social media oh, and, God, yeah. mm-hmm. and trying to find trying to find fault. Um, but it's a it's a, it's an industry body that's policing itself. If we don't do this, um, it will be forced upon us, and you, you don't know what the outcome will be in terms of restrictions. It could be much more restrictive. Exactly. Um, and I think it's important for members to know that even if you don't sign up to ABAC, ABAC will investigate your um your social media post your advertising and they probably they, they report on it publicly yep and so do we at bruise news sorry everyone <laughs> yeah it's yes. going to get out there um whether you like it or not um and i believe it does material affect uh, people's ability to get into retailers uh particularly endeavor as well so you know we try and sort of impress that upon people that you know it's not just oh aren't these conservative idiots like they're stifling our creativity yes but what's your ambition for your business do you want it to be distributed uh in national retailers if so you're going to have to follow the rules and get in line i guess um which is a bit of a hard message to put through and i know people people don't like it people don't like to be told what to do i guess uh we don't definitely Uh, and we have a we are you know we are our membership are are mavericks like Mm -hmm. they are people that start their own company and, and break the rules so I, I totally get that, but in the larger sort of um, you know framework of where we sit as um, as an industry is that we are in a heavily regulated industry, mm-hmm. um, and there are forces out there that are trying to um, stop us mm-hmm. essentially or severely curtail what we do. Mm-hmm. So, with that lens on, and then the lens of the social responsibility on as well. It, it, it pays to um, you know, be cognizant of what you where you sit here. So, I think you know the social responsibility around our, you know alcohol marketing and producing alcoholic products. Truth in labelling, I'll go back to again. Mm-hmm. The responsible consumption, minimising harm, no appeal to children, no sexually suggestive or offensive names or images. That just should be a given. I think, um, you know, we should be paying attention to alcoholic strength as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, I, I love a, a, a huge beer as much as the next person, um, but I think there'll be an increasing focus on a company providing low to no alcohol products available within their portfolio. Yep, definitely. And do you think that isn't just a sort of 
commercial advantage, that's also a responsibility advantage, you mean? I do. I think it I think it fits in both. I think we're number one the market's demanding it, which is which is great to see. So um, there is a market for low and no alcohol products, but also I think to fit within your your social responsibility mandate, I think having that within your portfolio is, is going to become increasingly important. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I've just seen a couple of weeks ago that the Australian Distillers Association has joined ABAC and therefore all its members are beholden to Stop ABAC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that something that the I know I spoke to Jamie Cook a long while ago and obviously when he was there, oh, it must have been early 2020, end of 2019 maybe. And he was like, yeah, we want to join ABAC there and talks to join ABAC. Is that something that the IBA would do or has that happened or what, what's going on with that? We haven't accelerated that at this point. I think um, there's still being a lot of our members getting used to the fact that this is here uh, <laughs> and and probably changing their the way that they go about their marketing and labeling, et cetera. Yeah. Um, it would have to, I, in my opinion, it would have to be a decision that was accepted by all the membership. Oh, like a vote type thing. Yeah, like a vote. But as I said before, even if we're not a signatory to it, we're still subject to it. Mm-hmm. And it can be enforced upon us like we saw in Victoria as well. So yeah. Yeah, as it stands, all the Victorian members are, are subject to ABEC because that's the way the state government decided to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, I, I honestly, I think it's inevitable. <laughs> I think so as well, actually. And, um, you know, I think we've got a bit of flack in years gone by for even reporting on it um, and a, and just discussing the issues that ABAC has raised. But, you know, we would always continue to do that because it is an important issue for the industry, whether we kind of like to hear about it or not. And, you know, it, it is a problem. There are people out there that, as you say, like, people are naturally seem to be mavericks here and uh you know don't like being told what to do and all that kind of stuff so it can be tricky it can be a tricky one and uh yeah <laughs> yeah look any, any, anything mandated comes with its own set of issues and sometimes it's counterproductive i think mm-hmm. we've, you might have seen that with vaccine mandates mm-hmm. across the country and um that, you know there's a there's a certain part of the population that hates being told what to do i hate being told what to do as well <laughs> yeah, so I know, I'm the same. On that one. <laughs> oh, i know we're really bad aren't we oh yeah it's cause... just it's just it's just how you react to it sometimes <laughs> so yeah yeah well, i mean this is why i'm in um the niche of beer industry journalism i am only beholden to matt and as long as i don't annoy matt then i'm probably all right <laughs> um, exactly on sort of the role of the IBA and what, what you guys are doing, what you're up to, um, we've seen a lot of marketing and events going on. You've obviously got the Indies, Good Beer Week, um, which is acquired in 2018, I think. How much goes towards that in terms of um, the IBA's efforts and how essential is that and the sort of marketing and event side to the IBA? Look, it's it's um, it's probably the, the biggest source of income for um, the IBA, and I think maybe that 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 balance would probably need to shift somewhat. Mm-hmm. You know, we've certainly seen how how um, fragile it is when you know, you've got a global pandemic going on and you can't gather people together for events. Mm-hmm. Um, so that 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 shift has somewhat been forced upon us. But I you know I know Kylie, and I don't want to speak entirely to Kylie, but I know that the focus has been on delivering benefits to members um, and I think that's going to be the key to the IBA success is really reframing that so it's not so much around delivering you know an Indies awards or a, a Brucon but they're, they're definitely still going to be our you know, two major pillars 
but what what are the other benefits we can give to members? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes as well. And there's been a lot of, lot of work being done in the background, and um, we'll start seeing that roll out next year. And obviously, we've touched on it before. You are a um, teacher with TAFE, and as your, as a director with the IBA, I know you did a lot of work on education and skills. Uh, talent deficiencies in the industry how is it going like what what is the general overall picture about especially post-covid now because I know you were doing a lot of this about a year or so ago and when when you spoke to Matt and obviously that landscape has almost completely changed in a matter of a year and a half two years so what are we looking like from a talent perspective and you know what what are the challenges that we face in in that respect yeah well labor across the you know the whole country is um is in a very different place than it was too. So without the um, you know migratory or or temporary visas coming in, there's definitely a labour shortage. Um, there's still a lot of people wanting to enter the industry, which is great. We have started to make good strides on the um, on the pathways into the industry through education traineeships as well. So uh, I was just talking to um, Hendo, who's been running the TAFE course up in. Um, Brisbane now for a, a couple of years and um, there's 85 I think 85 students have gone through or, or in the system at the moment mm-hmm. so that's um, that's great to see um, New South Wales and Sydney we've I think we're over well over 100 now so we're into heading into the year six of, um, of training the trainees have gone up significantly I think we have we've gone from one to five to probably over 30 for next year. So we've got, you know, two two full classes of trainees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that tells the story that when businesses are aware that traineeships are available for them to access and that the, the vocational education piece is there to support it, that they'll take advantage of it. And we'll get we'll get new entrants to the industry via that mechanism. Yeah. We need to do a fair bit more work in Victoria to improve things there. Um, South Australia has um, been teaching at TAFE for some time, but that's going through a bit of um, some changes. Um, we'll hope to see more from there. And we've got some really good engagement happening over in Western Australia at the moment. Mm-hmm. Tasmania, we um, really need to start the conversation down there as well and see what we can do yeah. with, with, with TAFE. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it's it's... The challenge, I guess, is that it doesn't just go to one one government to talk about this. It's all the individual state government <laughs> yes, to, yeah. to get this um, get this running. Um, but I'm I'm feeling pretty positive on that front. Mm-hmm. I think that the the gap that we've identified more recently is um, the the leadership and management of people component. And when we were framing the certificate for for artisan fermented beverages uh, brewing we wanted to make sure that that was part of the qualification mm-hmm. uh, and in some conversations i've had recently i think a lot of brewers have become head brewers and they've probably got the technical skills but maybe lacking the management skills mm-hmm. um, and how do you deal with a, a you know the work the complex workplace we're in now around you know, diversity and gender issues. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you deal with, you know, um, a culture that has probably changed a lot as well in terms of a younger generation who's much more aware of, um, you know, language and culture around diversity, um, how 
to deal with issues how to be spoken to I think that that education piece is going to be critical. That's such an interesting point and definitely something I wanted to discuss further. But before I jump onto that, I love that you've mentioned um, the differences between the states. We are doing a big report um, at Brews News on the states of brewing, you know, how the brewing industry is supported in each state. Um, and I found lots of disparities, but some states are amazing with funding, but they're terrible with planning and development or they haven't got a training option or whatever. Do you find that a struggle from the IBA perspective, obviously as a nationwide uh, body, having to deal with this many states and like how do you orchestrate that? The key is really we're having good good advocates within each state Mm -hmm. to make those connections with the state government. Uh, So, um, you know, look, I'm feeling pretty positive about where where we've got to. So to have an independent beer strategy with... You know, Queensland and New South Wales over the last couple of years is is a massive achievement. If we can see the same in the other states, then we've got a, a, a framework for engagement, to, for raising issues, for advocating for our industry, to get better support for, um, for you know, in the, in the departments of planning, in education, in tourism. Um, Destina- you know, Destination New South Wales has done, done a whole bunch of um, you know, beer trails for us across the, um, across the state. These things are, are really the way that we can get the most out of um, our interface with government. Interesting. Okay, cool. No, that's good. And I'll bug you about that more in the new year because um, we're hoping for have, to have the report out um, in maybe January. Uh, so, yeah, and we wanted it to be independent. Obviously, you guys are doing your KPMG audit, so um, that will be absolutely I'm really excited to hear that one. But um, we've obviously touched on our diversity in the, in the industry. It's obviously mm-hmm. been a massive issue this year with the allegations of sexism in the US industry, the Beer Agents for Change diversity survey, which came out, which was like, I don't know about you, but I was like totally grossed out by the things that were um, talked about in that. And I think it's really put a stark uh, picture together of what it could be like in the industry. Obviously, there are limitations to a small survey like that, um, yeah. which which is fair. And people inevitably that will want to speak will be speaking on in a survey and want to have their voice heard in a survey like that. Um, the IBA responded with the code of conduct. Yes. Can you talk us through how you put that together? And I believe you had a consultation with the industry. So what came back from that? Uh a, a lot. <laughs> so, uh, I bet. Yeah, I bet. And it's really yeah. cool that you did that, though, and didn't just say, like, this is the code of conduct, deal with it, um, that it was a bit of a, a discourse uh, uh, together. But, yeah, what what was the situation? What happened? Well, it, it started by looking looking at what was out there and how to, how to frame it, um, and it, it touched a lot of different facets. So, you know, the, the system here in Australia is quite different to America, um, and the... I guess the the main one that stood out to me was our defamation and libel laws, mm-hmm. completely different to the US, uh, and that's probably why you didn't see the same thing happen with that happened with Rat Magnet here in Australia. I think because um, because of that that legal risk. Oh, are you saying that it's? I, I'm not. I don't know anything that much about it really, apart from sort of the journalist side of things. Um, is that because it's stricter over there? And- and or stricter over here in terms of much strict, much stricter in as well. Oh, okay. it, it's much more likely that you will be sued for defamation libel in Australia than it, it is in America. I don't know why that shocks uh, me so much. It just does. Well, because America, America has the you know has the, the amendment, the mm-hmm. free speech amendment as well. Mm-hmm. So we don't have that 
Um, and the evidence of, of proof around um, defamation is quite different at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was something I was aware of. Um, so we did get legal advice around the framing of it, and I did I spoke to um, you know members of the Arrange for Change. We had some feedback from the industry about really what was going to um, be important to include in that, and I think where I think we see most risk is that um, is that interface with the general public or those those events, those social events that are run by other IBA or, or members or beer festivals, where maybe the line between um, social, you know, whether this is a social event or a industry or a work event get blurred. And I think that was, you know, having a, you know, asking for a, a way of reporting any incidents and um, making that in the forefront of any of those events was kind of a key part, I thought. Yeah, definitely. And and it's great that the code is there. And I think, but what is more difficult for me and, and for some women I've spoken to, um, like I spoke to Eden Pink at Prancing Pony the other week. She was like, it's just, sometimes it's just the small things. Like if a the guy, a superior, expects you to clean up after them or something like this. It's those kind of like small incidences. Mm. Um, but there's like you can't I don't know I don't know if you can even codify a set of rules that changes that. Like and this is such a hard question, Richard, and I'm sorry to throw it at you. You know, you're a bloke, you're a brewery owner, rather than like a, a female bartender or something like that. So you've got a different position. Um and it must be really hard to like juggle that uh, as well as trying to be understanding and and take into other people's uh, to account into other people's views but how do we do how do you think we change that as an industry how do we like get rid of those small incidences of sexism i think it goes back to what was raised before about um about education so i think it needs to be part of our education piece in terms of management and creating a culture within your business that um, you know that removes those those facets and creates a culture that's going to be more welcoming to a diverse workforce. Yeah, um, and that will take time. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. That will take time, but I think that's the only way that you will get um, you know long term change. The thing is, is that it's just so it's so tricky and it's so challenging for an an industry like this. And yeah, it is predominantly male. But I don't know about from your perspective, Richard. But I, from my perspective, I see a fair amount of diversity, enough women and things like that. But there are loads of other areas that we are terrible in in terms of diversity. Um, and that in itself is another issue, not just um, with the female issue, um, but with lots of other areas of. Uh, that and I think it was really interesting that um, a wine industry organisation uh, developed an indigenous. Um, I think it was like a careers path type program. I don't know if yeah. there's anything in the works like that, or what would you consider doing something like that from an IBA perspective? Yeah, look within our people group, we've been discussing this as well. So I think um, you know, gender diversity, gender pay gap, racial diversity, um, LGBTQI inclusiveness all really important facets of your social responsibility, I believe, as well. You know, how we do better about, about that, that's that's going to be a long-term change as well. Mm-hmm. It is about representation and it's important to, you know, to reflect your customers at the same time. So, you know, if, if, we are, if we're only using 
straight white males to market your your, your beer product, <laughs> they're the only people that are going to buy it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you're going to miss out on so many potential customers. Um, so um, that's a um, that's an important thing that people under to understand. Um, and then also people want to see themselves working in these businesses as well. Mm-hmm. So that representation goes not just on the, on the media, but it comes within your workforce at the same time. Oh, what a what a load of subjects to tackle, um, Richard. We've covered so many things. Um, so to sort of round up, then um, to get towards the end, so you can go back to your life. Um, what do you think are the IBA's biggest challenges in the next year? Is it COVID related? Is it diversity related? What What, um, what do you think? Th- maybe top three. Let's do top three. Uh, top three. Well, look, I, there was one that I didn't think I would be tackling, and that is probably revamping the Indies Awards. So that's, oh, yes. that's probably probably the first piece of work. Yes, um, yes. We haven't touched on that. Obviously, you spoke to Matt. Uh, you and Kylie spoke yes. to Matt, which thank you very much for that. It was really um, a great little insert. And just an, and, I, and I, we, we didn't need to touch on it for this one. You obviously um, discussed it already. Um, yeah. But yeah, what's the situation? What's the plan going forward? With what's the, the plan? So we're, we're going we're to appoint um, someone from outside of um, the IBA someone who's got industry experience but not a brewery owner to assist us with a, um, a review of the whole, the way the whole competition is run, essentially. So that will, that will go all the way from the sort of format of the judging to how judges are selected to, you know, the giving away of, of um, medals to trophies um, to the publishing of the information. Um, the whole whole box and dice is up for review. So I think it's probably, you know, I've got to see the positive side and say this is an opportunity to change. <laughs> oh, um, yes, good marketing skills there, Richard. Yeah, well done. It, yeah. Well, it's also just <laughs> so, I, so I don't feel too depressed about it. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great opportunity to change mm-hmm. it for, for something better. Yeah. And um, we're definitely getting, um, we'll be seeking um, people's opinions on it as well from the membership yeah. to see what you know what your indies what do you want it to look like mm-hmm. um so that's that's one piece and that's probably first and foremost <laughs> on my mind at the moment <laughs> yeah. um, we do need to get some toolkits out um, on the back of the code of conduct so mm-hmm. assist members with getting a sexual harassment policy in place getting you know how do you investigate any incidents um, how do you frame your business towards, you know, addressing issues that we talked around the social responsibility as well, mm-hmm. and getting um, getting greater diversity within within your business um, and managing that, and making it more welcoming, etc. So that's a that's a big piece of work. And then I think the other the other challenge will be, you know, dealing with all the things that government are throwing at us at the moment. So, um, you know, nutritional information panel on. Yeah. You know, that's something we're talking about at the moment. They're, they're saying that all alcoholic products, um, that's that's the goal they want to get to. How are we going to address that? And then I think it's around that um, really clearing up as best we can the message of independence and having it clear on the labels which which breweries are independent and which are not. Oh, four for the price of three. I like it. Um, okay. And uh, now just to end on a really nice note then, because this is like a huge achievement for the IBA. Ten years uh, in the game. 
you've been there for a big chunk of that, haven't you, Richard? What yeah, do you it's, think? Young, it's young Henry's 10th birthday next year. Oh, my God. Oh, right. So practically the entire time then. Um, yeah. So what do you think the um, IBA's biggest achievements have been over the, the past 10 years that you've been involved oh, wow. or been on the peripherals or, you know, don't necessarily have to have been involved in? But what, what do you think? Look, the, the exercise piece was was obviously pretty huge for the industry. Um, I thought that was a you know that was a long fought battle, and the battle started well before the <laughs> uh, before the craft beer industry or the IBA was yep. was in place. Um, but to finally get that recognition, I thought was amazing, and I know it's made a, a massive difference to the lives of, of people to to have that exercise break. So I thought that was a uh, you know, a fantastic achievement and a culmination of, of years of hard work by a lot of people. Um, I think, yeah, the, the having these you know, independent beer strategies with the state governments has been a great one as well. So really, you know, what we're seeing is that we have a voice uh, and we are taken seriously and our contribution to the to Australia's culture and economy is is recognised. And I just think if you even look at like the economic contributions and the employment contributions, like you can't deny that the brewing industry is, you know, it's maybe not like a mining heavy hitter, but we're getting there, you know, <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> we absolutely are. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all the things that I think that, you know, in terms of government goals, they want to see uh, Australian owned businesses, you know, regional communities, I think also very important that and I think you know our growth in our in, in our industry will come from from regional businesses mm-hmm. so small business Australian owned regional um, local manufacturing we're ticking a lot of boxes all the boxes all the time uh, yes. fantastic uh, wonderful well thank you so much for coming on Richard I really appreciate you I've grilled you a little bit but hopefully um, you know it was a good time for you as well and uh, we'll have to go for a pint uh, oh sorry a schooner when uh, we next see each other which... I'm happy to have a pint <laughs> oh you'll have a pint oh brilliant yes. that's okay then <laughs> maybe 10 no no responsible <laughs> drinking on the podcast okay <laughs> uh, alright fantastic well thanks again Richard and have a bloody Merry Christmas and New Year as well yeah you too thanks for talking cheers cheers don't forget if you like what we do at radio brews news you can help us out in a number of ways you can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation you can find details in the show notes you can review our podcast on itunes or your favorite podcasting service let us know what you think and help others discover the show Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. Thanks for listening to that conversation. Now, here's a little bonus for you. As I hear from Lark Distilling's master distiller, Chris Thompson, who tells me a little bit more about Lark's collaboration with brewer Wolf of the Willows. I asked Chris, what is it about this whiskey and beer that really works for him? Firstly, let's start about what's amazing about this collaboration in terms of the liquid. The liquid that we take is completely polar 